This podcast is sponsored by listeners like yourself at patreon.com slash the laps. You know, it's funny. I didn't realize how much money I truly spent running this thing until somebody actually spun the numbers for me. Turns out I make something like $2 an hour. The truth is, if I could afford to, I'd run this podcast out of my savings forever. But I also know that there's a benefit to keeping a roof over one's head. So I started The Laps because I find people fascinating. I believe everyone has a story. If that connects with you, if the show has moved you or made you laugh, and you think that you might want to be a part of that and help me do what I do, support The Laps on Patreon for as little as a buck and keep these kind of stories alive. I do my best to make it worth your while to. Everything from shorter stories to unaired content to chats with yours truly. We're just shy of our next goal and there's a fun little raffle when we hit it. So join me in making more than $2 an hour and uh, maybe making something out of this. That's at patreon.com slash the laps. With that said, hey everybody and welcome to the Laps Storytelling Podcast where we tell true stories gussied up. I'm your host, Kyle Jest, and today, you and I are going on an adventure. Jennifer Purdy was a fan of the show and regularly listens to it on her runs. Just goes to show that even when you're listening to stories on this show, you are always living your own. Jennifer is a triathlete and a marathon runner. This is the story of the most harrowing run of Jennifer's life across the great white tundra of Antarctica. I'm calling this one Cool Running. Here it comes. This is The Laps. Jennifer scans the ship's interior, sizing up the other passengers. They're looking a little fierce. If you look at them, I mean, I just, I thought, what am I doing here? She and a hundred other runners, some of the best in the world, are heading south. Real south. Because what better place to run a marathon than Antarctica? People who trained like Olympians and I don't. I just went into it hoping to finish. Make no mistake, Jennifer is a trained triathlon and marathon runner. But she's in it for the experience, not the competition. When she first started, she couldn't even swim. I started showing up in a class with a bunch of five-year-olds. I didn't have on my little floaties like a bunch of the little kids did, but they swam circles around me within a few lessons and I couldn't even stick my face in the water. Took me two years to be able to learn to swim. The ship lurches violently. She was warned about this. The boats were Russian boats and they were a lot smaller, so you hit the waters a lot harder. Enough of a thrill ride for just about anybody. But the four-day journey from South America means navigating some of the roughest waters in the world. The Drake Passage. We hit the Drake Passage around four in the morning, and we know we hit the Drake Passage because things were starting to fly across the room. Waves of up to 30 feet smash the ship from all sides. In order to keep them from flying out of bed, passengers cinched themselves down with seatbelts. Not that they can sleep. They lined the hallways with hundreds of barf bags, and by the end of the day, there would only be a few left. Not only are you dehydrated, but you're also lacking in calories, which is not really how you want to go into a race. So even starting the race, I think we came from a severe disadvantage. The land just felt so different than anywhere I've ever been. Just really felt like stepping on completely foreign land. And I don't mean like going to Europe. A bunch of people were just kind of walking around. 
not really knowing what to do, and someone said this must be what it feels like to walk on the moon. This is an important race for Jennifer. More than bragging rights, more than the three-year waiting list or the six grand price of admission. If she finishes this run, she'll have officially completed a marathon across all seven continents. The runners will have three hours to reach the midway point, four more to finish the marathon. No second chances, no refunds. And the run includes a particularly harrowing three-mile scramble up and then down a glacier. They did tell us it was extremely dangerous, but it wasn't until we actually got on the course that you really get to see what it's like. The runners line up and await their signal. Ready, set, and we're on the clock. Jennifer adjusts the straps on her pack, trying to get comfortable with the added weight. For the first time ever in my life, we had absolutely no aid stations. We had to carry everything on our own. It was kind of interesting because when I, I lived in cold weather and I would have a really hard time running in the winter because of the burning of the lungs. That only lasted for a short period of time. It was a little bit warmer than normal, which actually wasn't a good thing. It sounds like it would be, but it wasn't because it was actually making the ice melt. It creates quite a bit of mud, which makes it slippery, and then it makes the water run on the glacier. The first five miles were pretty flat and we were running over mud. There really is no path. It's not like you're running down a street and you just know you're running on the street. We had to look for those little orange flags to tell us where to go. Otherwise, we could end up getting lost. And you really don't want to get lost in Antarctica. Gradually, Jennifer watches the other athletes pass her by. First the men, then the women. The first three-hour cutoff should be no problem, but she checks her stopwatch anyway. Unfortunately, without the guidance of the other runners in front of her, Jennifer strays from the path. Suddenly... She trips. When she tries to stand, she's sinking. Down to my chest, caught in mud, and I can't get out at all. The mud might as well be quicksand. She only sinks further. I was down into my chest in mud, but my arms were free, so that's really all I had to work with. I've never been in something I literally couldn't get out of. Five minutes go by. Then 10. Not a soul has run past her. I had watched on the Discovery Channel in the US, Man vs. Wild, and I've watched him try and get himself out of quicksand, and he takes a stick to try and hoist himself out. So I looked around for a stick and I couldn't find one. I had my water bottle in my hand because we had to carry all our own gear. This is the closest thing I have. Jennifer hacks at the walls of the pit until she finds a rock steady enough to hold her weight. When she thinks she's found one, she wedges the water bottle in place, pulls, and finally breaks free. Now I have an extra 10 pounds of mud kind of caking and sticking to me. Not only that, but I'm wearing extra clothes because of the cold. So I'm doing this marathon wearing a significant amount of weight than I'm used to. She takes a swig of her water bottle. But the seal didn't quite hold. Until the midway point, I'm having to drink mud. Jennifer is well behind. In a typical race, I can average nine-minute miles. 
Here, she's only managing 15, so if she can keep pace, she'll just manage the three-hour cutoff. Up ahead, the glacier looms. Quite a few runners, especially the men, were already running down the glacier, so I knew I was quite a bit behind at that point. The men were hardcore, didn't really care about safety, just wanted to take the glacier as hard as they could. You know what they say, the bigger they are, well, the bigger the break. He ended up breaking his hip and almost was medevaced out of Antarctica because it was so bad. It was slipping almost the entire way up because it was warmer, so the ice was melting, so it kind of felt like an ice rink. But not only are you walking on an ice rink, you're walking at it at an angle. The going up is slow, but at least Jennifer isn't alone anymore. Just as she finds herself slipping, another runner catches her. She grabs my hand and kind of pulled me up, and we went up this glacier together. Thanks, says Jennifer. She gets a closer look at the woman. You, uh, you look really familiar. I'm sorry. Were you on TV? The Real World um, MTV show? The woman gives her a wink. Watch this part, okay? It's a little slippery. Near the top, it started to get into blizzard conditions. Snowing really bad and we couldn't really see very well. As the weather picks up, the going gets tougher. One of the race organizers zooms by in an ATV. Spun it around and turned on the headlights and told everybody just run toward the light. Kind of ironic because that's what they tell you to do when you die. At the turnaround point, I actually took a little break because it just took everything out of you just to get up it. I ended up with three other runners and we all kind of linked arms and just took little baby steps down together because going up was actually easier. I thought it was extremely difficult to go up, but now you're declining and it's very easy to slip and fall. Another runner up ahead slips, breaks her wrist. Jennifer needs to take it slow she's also running out of time. She has half an hour to make it to the midway point, or she's disqualified. Less than 15 minutes before disqualification, Jennifer hits the halfway mark. She takes a few moments to dump her gear, clear the mud from her water. Another injured competitor, this one on crutches, limps by. I think that's what made people drop out. I just said, forget it, I don't want to do this anymore. I thought about that race for three years, and I trained for it. I did nine miles a day, where I would run three miles, and then climb three miles, and then run three miles. That's how I train. But to do all that, and to go there and not finish, that's just devastating. Four hours to finish. She'd better get moving. Up ahead is the first of several research stations, each of which operates on its own country's time zone. The time would change from one research facility to another. It'd be eight in the morning, and then we'd run five miles, and it'd be 10 in the morning. The Russians sip hot soup for breakfast, watching amused as the runners go by. A couple of them flap their arms, pointing to the skies ahead. And there they are. Like a like a cross between a seal and an ostrich. They're actually quite big. I've never seen anything that looks like it. At 
four feet of wingspan. Very aggressive. It's a large flock of Antarctic skuas. The birds dive for the highest part of your body, so competitors are warned to run with their arms above their heads. Because if they were to land on us, they would land on our arms, and then we could beat them off with our water bottles. Imagine a hundred runners sprinting in unison with their arms straight up in the air. They look like a group of aliens figuring out how to be human. The lady right in front of me, in fact, if I had actually been maybe 40 seconds faster. I knew I was quite a bit behind. I actually didn't know if I was even going to make a seven-hour cutoff time. A little over an hour remains. But it's the skies that continue to prove daunting. And it rained, but it rained sideways. I grew up in Seattle where I was used to rain, but I'd never seen rain like this. Makes it difficult to see where Jennifer's going. Either she copes with blurry sunglasses or gets pelted in the eyes. I don't know how it rained sideways. Because usually, you know, when it's windy, you're kind of, you can see in your car, the rain just kind of coming off to the sides. But if you've ever watched Star Wars, and in the Millennium Falcon, when they would go into that hyperdrive or something, I forget what it's called, but then all the stars would change. That's what it looked like. It kind of felt like being in a video game. Level one is climbing a glacier. Level two is climbing over boulders. And then you get to level three and you're dealing with sideways rain. We'd be in blizzard conditions in a glacier, and then we're running past this Chinese research station, and it's raining, and it's really not that cold. But then you'd run five miles out, and it would be snowing. As soon as you'd turn and go a different direction, it was completely different. Half an hour before disqualification, Jennifer crosses the finish line. Her shoes are soaked, feet are blue, and she's absolutely starving but she's done it. Successful marathon across all seven continents. Even in my toughest days, I would never spend seven hours on a marathon course, but there was actually a lot of people that took almost that long. An older lady, probably in her 60s or 70s, she made the half, but she got disqualified for the full, and she was so upset. I mean, you come all this way and you spend all this money and then to not make it. I like adventure and I like to travel and I like hard races. I like to have a challenge. But I'm still, I don't consider myself a runner per se. I'm more of a hobbyist. I'm trying to become the youngest woman to have done all of the seven continents twice. So I will actually have to go back and do another Antarctica race. So I'm on a list again. <laughs> I'm not particularly looking forward to that. That story again was shared by Jennifer Purdy. While Jennifer may not consider herself much of a runner, she is prolific, having been featured in everything from Shape Magazine to USA Today. You can follow her pursuit of a world record at Jen Purdy on Twitter or jenniferpurdy.com. Thanks, as always, to the lovely Jesse Brennan for this week's transcription. If you care to follow me, I am on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Laps Podcast. If you have a story to tell, you can email me at stories at thelaps.org. And lastly, but not leastly, if you want to support this show and be a part of what I do at The Laps, you'll find me at patreon.com 
slash The Lapse. My name is Kyle Jest, and this was The Lapse. Thank you so much for listening.